the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 96. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you? I am amazing. <laughs> this, really? is like amazing yeah. this is I like can't... amazing month. Yeah, I can't play it down. I can't. I'm just amazing. I have to let my light shine. Uh, I am. Don't dull it. Yeah, don't dull it. Well, you know, we had the plague. Like, it circled through everyone in the house. My husband actually got it twice. Uh, so, you know, when you come out of that, like, illness, you know, everything is just extra amazing. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. It's like... Uh, yeah, it is shiny and bright. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I was sick. I ran a fever. So when I ran a fever, that's just, I'm out. I'm like, I want my mama. I, 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 I just feel like a child when I get a fever. And um, yeah, so I missed like two weeks of my writing class because of sick kids. And then I was sick and then I missed a improv class. But this week, everything is back. It's just back. It's awesome. Good. And you've, you've done some fun stuff recently. Yeah. I have, I've been really, I've been, I've been out in the world. Girl, (laughs) tell me about it. I want to hear something good and fun today. I need to. So my improv class is so freaking fun. I love it so much. I can see, I I think I'll, I, I don't know. We'll see, but I'm already thinking about level two and and, and I want to keep going. Um, last Sunday, I went to see uh, a, my favorite photographer on, the, on this earth um, had a show at my alma mater Whoa. last Sunday. I know. And it was a lot of fir- full circle moments. He is from Beaumont, Texas, which is, out, is like East Texas. Uh-huh. Um, he teaches at, he's a professor at, at Lamar University, and he's been a photographer now. Well, he, this was a 50-year retrospective, so for 50 years. And his, his photos are, they're poetry. They are stunning. As a matter of fact, I've always felt like, his name is Keith Carter, by the way, if anyone wants to look up his photos. Um, I've always felt that his photography was almost feminine. Like if you didn't know it was a man behind the camera, you might even think it was a woman because they're just so uh, vulnerable and poetic and the imagery is just, just stunning. Um, But anyway, uh, he used to have he his he used to have photos in a tiny little gallery that was right across the street from a restaurant that I worked in while I was going back to school for photography, and I would go over. I would sometimes leave my house before my shift so I could pop into the gallery and just stare 
at his prints and, you know, dream about ever being a, you know, photographer half as good as him. And anyway, it was really, really fun. And so I got to take my kids to my alma mater. I showed them my dorm room, um, building where everything, where everything started for Sandra. That's so cool. (laughs) It was really cool. Yeah. And and to to see someone that you admire so much and to look at their life's work, right? All in one place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It was really overwhelming for an artist too, like to put together your life's work. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it was for him. Although he felt very, it seemed, he seemed to vary at ease, but I was very emotional, which I was not expecting because I'm just Mm -hmm. not an emotional girl. Um, and I was on the verge of tears so many times. Aww. I was so emotional. His art did that for you. It really does. And yeah. I think it's just the whole connection and everything to my younger self and my younger aspiring creative self. So it was, um, it was really special. It was really cool. My kids really could have cared less, but I, I, they, they right. really, they did, they, 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 there were some photographs that they were, that, that, you know, they thought were interesting for sure. i I noticed my son taking a few shots with his phone, you know, out of the corner of my eye, but yeah, we don't draw too much attention, right? When they like something, you're like, you just have to notice it. Right. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Maybe we won't. Right. Yeah. In the car when we're not looking at each other, Uh, not making eye contact. (laughs) Yeah. Ever since my son was little, I remember when we would go to museums and things, um, I would just ask him at the end or maybe sometimes in the middle, I don't know, but I would just always ask him like, what's your favorite piece? today. And he'd be like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well just try to think about that when we're going through. And then maybe you can just tell me at the end, we can talk about it. And he did that for many, 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 many years. No longer. (laughs) (laughs) That's that window is shut. Um, But I have to say, I haven't taken him many places to be quite honest with you because he's so, I mean, he's like back to back in school and all of that, but I haven't taken him as much as I used to when he was younger. So that maybe. The Hope Diamond is in in um, San Francisco at the Legion of Honor. I'm sure he'd oh, be wow. thrilled to go see that with me. That sounds <laughs> really interesting. Will you go I with me? Come yeah, on, I would go see the Hope Diamond. I really yeah. would. Yeah. And Monet is at, I think he's at um, the uh, Legion of Honor. Uh, I'm getting all the, conf- the museums confused. Oh, Anyhow, it doesn't sure matter. Many. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I need to go. I need a museum visit. I haven't had one in a while. So that, that's a good reminder to go see a show. That's good. Yeah. How is your reading? How is your reading goals going? Good. Yeah, good. I, I'm so inspired the, by you. The month is closing out and I've read five books. So I'm right I'm on track. I know I'm right on track and I have a pile from the library. I'm really going to have to speed read, which is not something I'm super good at. I really like to take my time, but, um, some of these are due and there's waiting lists and I'm really plowing through some books though. I really like that. That, that's my one little um, resolution that I set that I I wanted to read a book a week and, and I, I really like it. I think that that's a good, positive resolution if you're gonna mm-hmm. even bother with those because it's action for sure mm-hmm. and you're yeah. learning and it's gonna inspire something else and then you're gonna re- go find another author or a book or a, go see an exhibit by someone like it, it just keeps it'll keep growing yeah for sure well what I wanted you? to share yeah I wanted to share I've been um 
I've had a great month. I was writing down all of the creative ventures and things I've been doing this month. And um, I, I want you to know, Sandra, I did not do the January cure. I started and mm-hmm. then I had all of these other things that were more important this year. Yeah. And so I think um, it was good. I gave myself permission to make my list of things I need to work on in my house. And I set it aside and I was like, now I need to do these other things. Want to do these other things, not need to. I wanted to. And one of the things was taking the seven journeys class with um, Pixie Lighthorse, who I've shared here on the pod. And I didn't know a whole lot about her. Like I love her words. I like her prayers. Um, that's about all I really knew. And I know she called herself an earth medicine woman. Didn't know mm. what that, didn't know what that meant. Didn't really look into it too much, but I, so I took the seven journeys. I had no idea what I was signing up for. And I'm really glad that I had no idea. So journey is kind of like, this is just my interpretation. It's like, she takes you on a journey every day for seven days. And what that means, it's kind of like meditation, I guess, but not really. It's like your, your conscious mind goes into your subconscious mind and you take away things and you learn from these things. And so an important part of this process, which I'm not going to tell you all of it because it would be too much, but it's about theta binaural beats. And so oh, she, yeah. she is drumming and she's rattling it first to clear the energy with a rattle, like with a, one's a turtle that had something inside of it, like a turtle shell mm-hmm. that someone made her. One is, um, I don't even know because I closed my eyes, but so one's a rattle and then it takes that beat takes you into this uh, liminal space that you're going to kind of hang out in. And that's with a drum. She's drumming the whole time on kind of an animal covered um, drum for some of them. Um, mm-hmm. of them are like recycled uh, propane tanks. I mean, there's just different drums that she does. And then you come out of it. And what you have to do, Sonia, which is kind of trippy and interesting, is that um, to get into the space, you need a portal in and a portal out. But really, I ha- like I said, I had no idea what I was signing up for. So I'm just listening, journaling a little bit and then listening to her. And the portal in has to be, um, is suggested to be a childhood memory of you in nature. So to find like a really beautiful memory, mm-hmm. that's your way in. And then at the end, when she changes up the drumming, that's the way out. It's the same way that you go in. It's very important for all the journeys that you go in the same way and you come out. And then what happens in between is the freaking, I don't even know what you call it, <laughs> magic. And it was interesting because I, for me, my portal was this field across the street from my house when I was 10 years old. And I run mm-hmm. down this hill of dry brush and I go veer left and go to a tree that had um, fallen. My sister reminded me that it had fallen. I thought it was upright, but that it had fallen. And then I go into this space and then all of a sudden my mind starts like conjuring up images from the past. Like all of a sudden I was at my grandparents' home on this one journey and we were circling. All the cousins were like running around my grandmother's house, like in a circle And then she talked about how mountain lion might be present and that a female mountain lion is a queen. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden there was a mountain lion because of course she suggested that that be your guide. Mm -hmm. And then it like takes me um, to Mexico. All of a sudden I'm in Mexico with all of my cousins Mm. and we're at this church and, and mountain lion is circling like the perimeter of the church in the parking lot. And I'm there with them. And then all of a sudden this number three pops up and it just keeps pulsating and then all of a sudden she changes the drumming and it's time to leave the portal 
or to leave the experience and then you journey out through the field and I'm running towards home as fast as I can. And then I'm up the hill and like standing across the street from my house when I was 10 years old. And there's just like this beautiful feeling I had. It was like, it's like I went and visited something. So it's like, what do I learn from that? What did I get from that? And so that's what she doesn't really tell you what to do after that. So for me, I just started journaling and collaging, which is really mm -hmm. strange. And it gave me some things that I won't get into, but it gave me some personal um, insights or yeah, insights, knowings. And I don't know. So every day I've been looking forward to the journey. So I get to journey after I get off the call. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that it would be like a meditation, but I love, you know, I've, I've definitely touted the, my love for Theta yeah. by Meryl Beats. Of course, I, I always, things that I love for some reason, I don't do more often. <laughs> I don't know right. why that is, but yeah. I have seen really cool visions and I've been visited by deceased loved ones. I've, yeah. it's been, yeah, it's, well, you definitely enter a space. For sure. And she was talking about how, um, it, it, it kind of gives you some answers in a way that maybe you weren't looking for, right? Or that you, mm -hmm. your subconscious mind is telling you something. It's almost like a treasure hunt kind of you have to kind of figure out what that might mean. Mm -hmm. um, and she just talks a lot about fluid space and how, you know, the divine feminine is a fluid kind of entity and how women, you know, just talking about how we occupy space in the world and, and how we all embody it and it opens us up for things. And I don't know, just the way her language and the journeys have been really cool. And um, last night was, focused on voice and the throat um, chakra and she she um I, nothing came to me so that can tell it be information too mm -hmm. um, so I'm dissecting that this morning but anyhow it just it was fantastic and I was like I had no idea I don't think I could do it for longer than seven days because mm, it's, intense. it's intense yeah it's intense but that it's available. And so I've been doing the Theta Beats at night, um, Binaural Beats, and just vividly dreaming, Sandra. Mm, mm -hmm. And that's been pulling me out of bed to hurry up and go write down my dreams. And I've been collaging from some National Geographics I found at the Senior Center for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've just been every morning anxious to get out of bed because my dream world has been so big. So oh, that was long, so cool. but I wanted to just share it with you and the listeners. That's super cool. I just feel like I got a gift these last these last six days. So I'm almost done with it, but it's very, very cool. That's really amazing. Sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's see, promote. I just wanted to promote something. Okay. I did my, my first Groove call on January 22nd with um, the participants of Groove, which was really fun and great. And I got great feedback and information. And uh, the February Groove is launching. First email will go out on February 10th. So if anybody's listening and wants to sign up, there's a link in my bio on my Instagram feed. There's a link on my website, which is TammySolace.com. Love to have you. Very cool. What about you, Sandra? Anything going on with you? Oh, no, I have no big promotions. I just added a new essay to my vignettes on intoxicating love. I was just Ooh. telling you before we started recording that I'm working on this longer piece and it's really painful and... 
um, I'm having to take breaks from it quite a bit. And so last night before my writing class, I sort of sat down and cranked out something that's just pure comic relief. So anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You got to break it up a little bit, right? For sure. I, it's, I swear it. Yeah. Humor keep is one of my big things in my toolbox. So I can't wait to read it. I'm going to go read that. So it's up today. It's up today. And, uh, the unruffle.com. If you click on words in the search bar up top, that's where all of my little vignettes live. Excellent. Um, okay. And one more thing, sorry. (laughs) Um, Patreon subscribers, you guys are freaking awesome. Oh yeah. Since we um, shared a little bit more about how we wanted to be, um, 100% listener funded, you guys have stepped up. Yes. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And there's a link. If you guys listen on SoundCloud, we have a link to my website, Sandra's website, um, and uh, the Unruffled pod, uh, Instagram account and our Patreon account. So if you're on SoundCloud and you see those links, that's an easy way to access any of the stuff like to find our work and to support the show. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, we should probably talk about our guests now. Yes, let's talk about our guest. <laughs> so today on the podcast, I'm going to read about half this and then I'll let you jump in. Okay. Um, well, why don't you read it all and then I, I can I'll jump read in a little all. bit about how I know her and, and then we'll transition. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. So today on the podcast, we have Jennifer Beck Ferber, who also goes by Jen Ferber. Um, she is a poet, producer, photographer, and a playwright. She spends her days as an elementary school art teacher and believes her three daughters deliver life's best work. This San Juan Island mama can be found often on a beach with knitting needles and coffee or a camera and a pen when she isn't on her family's fishing boat. She play, her plays have appeared on stage while her poetry and essays have appeared widely. She's currently working on a memoir, and Jennifer lives in the Pacific Northwest and owns Wright Doe Bay. Yeah, and Wright Doe Bay is where I met Jen about uh, almost five years ago. And that, um, I can't remember if we talked, it's been a while since we recorded the podcast with her, but I can't remember if we talked about um, that was my first kind of permission slip to listen to my creative voice. I think you did mention yeah. that. Yeah. So that's the place. And I'm going back there to teach in April, which we touch on as well. And it's just pretty magical. It's a uh, not easy to get to, um, to Orcas Island where, where the retreat is located, but that's part of the magic. Cause it feels like you're in Narnia a little bit mm-hmm. and, uh, lots of creatives. It's not just for writers. Um, it's for creative souls. And a mm-hmm. um, former guest on the show, Daniel Blue, was one of my teachers there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be there. Anyhow, but um, if you want to find out more about Jen, you can check out um, her Instagram feed is at Jen Ferber. That's Jen with two N's, F-U-R-B-E-R, or um, Jen Ferber Photos. She's a wonderful photographer. And Wright Doe Bay. And her website for um, the comp for the writing retreat is uh, writedobay.com and the workshops on sale right now on the website and uh, Kim Kranz I think I've promoted before is going to be there as well from the wild unknown right and a few others so it's going to be really exciting and I thought it was a fantastic fantastic interview with Jen Mm, I I learned a lot about her 
Yeah, me too. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. Good morning, Jen. Hi, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Sandra. Welcome to the show, Jen. I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you so much. I know it's been a while since we've seen each other. Almost five years, almost in, five years in April. It'll wow, be- that's incredible. Yeah. So tell our listeners, we're going to all get all into your story, but tell our listeners where you're chatting to us from. I am on um, San Juan Island in the Pacific Northwest in Washington State, and my house is about two blocks from the ferry terminal, so I'm right in downtown Friday Harbor. And how long have you lived there? 11 years. Wow. How big of an island is it? Because I've never been. Uh, Um... Or like, what's the population? I guess I'm just trying to picture, like, is this as big as uh, a, the year round population, I believe is somewhere around 7,000. Um, okay. But in the summer, it swells to about 30,000 with oh, wow. the marinas full. And we're a big tourist destination to see orca whales and go kayaking. Um, and so it's quite a tourist destination. So the town is very busy in the summer. Got it. Oh, wow. And how many islands are in the San Juan Islands? Is it? There are 152 San Juan Islands, um, oh, but there wow. are only four that are served by ferry. And my husband does power for the islands, and he works on 23 of, of the islands. And all of the other islands are... Um, Without power, people living remotely with generators and such. Wow. Oh. It's like its uh, own little world up there. It is. It is. <laughs> I need to get there. I need to get there. I have a friend that's in the Coast Guard um, up there, and so I get little snapshots from her every once in a while, but I am. I need to get there. It sounds beautiful. It is beautiful, but sometimes it does feel like the corner of the world, but mm-hmm. um, it is very beautiful. <laughs> Right. We used to, um, I live in a tiny town as well. And, um, but the, uh, the next largest town is Bodega Bay where I, you know, that's a little fishing village as well. And my friend used to call it the Isle of Misfit Toys because the people were all a little funky. They all like to be on the edge of the continent, you know, and that everybody was, um, it was interesting kind of the smattering of people that you would, that, that chose to live, you know, on the edge of the continent. Same probably yeah. for island life, you know. It's a really interesting place. I was lucky to get hired as um, a playwright for the Centennial Stories Project when I moved here. And so I was able to research the history of the town when the town turned 100. Oh. And and so I, I would um, interview all of the old islanders when I first moved here, trying to find the story that I was going to write about until I settled on the story of the last family to inhabit the lighthouse on the north end. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a really interesting way to move to the island because I was immediately introduced to the people who had been here, you know, for 70 plus years and Mm -hmm. had heard the change of the the town. Wow. That reminds me, did you ever read that book by Heather Lindy? If you lived here, I'd know your name. No. She was an Alaskan um, writer and she was, um, she wrote obituaries. And so she would go around and visit uh, the families of those who had passed away. And that's how she kind of got to know her 
neighbors and developed community when she first moved um, to her small Alaskan oh. town. So, oh, yeah, it's like a way in through history, right? And kind of really yeah. understanding the place and the people that inhabited it. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Oh, well, good. Well, we're going to get into your story, Jen. So I was going to, you know, normally how we start this off is we um, ask you, you know, how you came to the decision to quit drinking, what that looked like for you, um, and so that our listeners can get to know you. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. Um, well, I guess it starts a bit when I was in sixth grade, my brother entered recovery And my parents started a group to get all of the teens in our town off of drugs and alcohol. And so being a true child of the 80s, I um, did exactly the opposite of what they told me and began drinking and trying just about everything that they told me not to for the next six years. And so I came into partying at a very early age. And even though I was watching it destroy my brother's life, I um, liked the idea that it was my choice. Um, It seemed that for my brother, it was something that had taken hold of him. And I, um, let me see, where do I, where do I go? Well, about... Five and a half years ago, I was up in British Columbia at a concert with friends. And I had a glass of wine and blacked out and was incredibly sick. Of course, there was the dance party on a bus and other remarkable late night events. But I was in a room with all of my best friends and they were all finally privy to how sick drinking made me. I think um, for a long time, I had worn my very low tolerance of alcohol and crazy drunk antics like a badge. I was always the funniest one at the party, the most ridiculous one in the room, the first one to hop on a pool table in a bar and dance. I was always the one people said, wow, you sure had fun last night. I bet you're not feeling well. Um, And in fact, alcohol had always poisoned my body um, Mm. just as I was drunker than anyone else in the room from a glass or two of wine. I was sicker than anyone else from that night. It, It was like the hangover was a badge of honor in that fight to party hard. And I would have to carefully make sure that if I was drinking, I would have to carve out the next day to be sick. And yeah, it's like you have to plan for two things, right? The night out yeah. and the next day. Yeah. Um, and it was easier for me because I only needed such a small amount um, to, to get really drunk. And it was a release from whatever phase of my life I was living in college or motherhood or whatever, whatever it was. Um, but that night in British Columbia was July 31st and I made it home to the Island and I drove straight to the beach and I just decided then and there that 
I wasn't going to do that anymore. It was maybe the first time I had been really embarrassed at how sick I was because everybody saw when in actuality, all of the years before that, it had been something that was really private because the party never followed me home, you know, and the party wasn't with me the next day. Um, But that's when I went into the ocean for the first time and started a tradition with Carrie Andrews called Reset Button Every First because it was August 1st. And in that tradition, I bring myself slowly into the water and go underwater and set an intention and bring myself out. And that intention that I set then was to never drink again, to never have food cooked in alcohol, to never try any drink of any sort ever again. Mm. So I have a question, Jen, was this low tolerance thing something that you'd always had or did it develop later in your life? I had always had it. I think I was always allergic to alcohol. I was right. always going to use that word allergy because when I hear, and you're not the first person that I've heard to talk, to talk about their relationship to alcohol in this way. Um, but when I hear that, I, I immediately think of, you know, the, 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 those people that think that, um, some of us have an alert where we have an allergy to alcohol. Um, that that's the word that immediately comes to mind when I hear, um, a story like yours. Yeah. And I would always keep a drink in my hand in college. I lived with all guys and I would just maybe drink it to maybe the top of the label of a beer. And all of my guy roommates loved drinking with me because then they would have my beer that I set down. Mm-hmm. And then I would be just like everybody else walking into the kitchen, opening up a new drink. Um, but I knew that I couldn't drink six or seven, but everybody else was holding a cold beer. So I had to just keep opening them and having right. parts of them. Um, it wasn't something I realized until I really stepped back and looked at my history of, of drinking, but now I can't even have food cooked in it. It makes me sick, even though mm. they say most of the alcohol burns out, um, like clams in white wine, for instance, make right. me so sick. So when you, when you are doing this on the first, so this is like a beautiful little ceremony that you've made, right? You're, I mean, it's cold in the Pacific Northwest waters, Jen. <laughs> It's very cold. <laughs> you and Carrie are very uh, tough girls. Um, it's about <laughs> 54 degrees. Oh, that uh, is cold. Year round. Mm-hmm. 54 to 57. Yeah. Um, so, so. so you would go in there, you would submerge, and you would set an intention. For the month, for the day, for the year, for just that moment? For the month. But okay. sometimes life was pretty hard, and we would find ourselves jumping in the water a few times a month or a few times a week, because regardless of how you're feeling, when you bring yourself in, you feel so good after it. Mm-hmm. There um, is something about it, right? Jumping in cold water. I've, I talk about this often, but I live in Austin and we have uh, a natural spring fed pool here and it's 68 degrees year round. So a little bit warmer than, <laughs> than that. But, um, you know, it gets to be a hundred degrees, you know, the temperature gets to be a hundred degrees in Texas in the summer. And so it's feels like an ice bath in the summer. And it is, it, it, it does, it 
it's a reset. It, you're right. That's a very good word for it. It is a complete reset. Well, I think that it's interesting that I chose to define my moment of never drinking again by facing one of my biggest fears. Uh, 24 hours after I was married in Yellowstone in 2003, my husband and I were at the base of the fire hole um, waterfall, which is about a 75-foot waterfall. And the idea is that you hold on to this sandstone ledge And then you tread water and the rapids push you down a mile or two eventually to this very shallow sandstone pool. It was July. It was hot. It was about 100 degrees. And my husband turned around to look at the falls. And I had my hand on the ledge. And at that moment, a boy from New York ran and jumped in the water and his feet landed on my shoulders and I was pressed back 10 feet underwater. (gasps) Oh my gosh. And instantly I learned that I don't have fight or flight. I um, just froze. And I thought it was the most beautiful moment I had ever seen. The light was shining down through the water. It replays in my mind as slow motion, the bubbles of oxygen underwater, all of that, um, all of those rapids. And at the last minute, my husband, my new husband realized, um, because, you know, we'd been married the day before what had happened. And he was able to swim underwater very quickly and pull me out and throw me up on the ledge. He had been a wilderness EMT. And I mean, we were only 22. So, you know, um, and I coughed up water for hours, my Mm. lungs burned. And from that moment on, as time grew, I couldn't even get my face wet in the shower. Mm. When I taught my all three girls how to swim, I stood at waist deep water and would do motorboat and all the things and have them jump to me. I never had an underwater tea party or anything with them. Mm. And so I felt like if I could have the courage to bring myself into the water and the power to bring myself out on a monthly basis, then maybe I'm a bit stronger than I realize. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was very significant then. Yeah. For multiple reasons. Yeah. So that's how that reset button uh, works for me. It's facing your biggest fear and conquering it a little bit over time. Wow. I did not know that story, Jen. Thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. that with us. Mm -hmm. I think, I think water um, can be so, Uh, well, it can be very dangerous as well, but very healing, especially in recovery. Um, I know that Sandra and I talk about um, a silkwood shower, like taking the most scalding hot shower that just hits your skin, kind of like they did in silkwood (laughs) with Porsche. You know what I mean? Like when the water's (laughs) just hitting you, like in early sobriety, that's what, that was my reset. Um, Every time I wanted to drink, I would go take a scalding hot shower. And yeah, we were in drought, you know, and some days I felt really bad, but I was like, I'm going to just take the pasta water outside and water something, but I'm going to, I've got to go take a scalding hot shower. Like I'll, I'll work out the water paying back nature later, but cause I just needed it. It was a really, um, 
It was a tool for sure. And still oh, is. Wow. Still is. Um, do you still do this on the first, Jen? Um, I don't do it on, on the first. And now, um, you know, I this past May, I began a program called Miracle Swimming. And the island pool, just a block away from me, was closed at, at night. And a woman who was an educator in this program taught me and in the beginning to other strangers to face our fears in water. Um, and it May, June, July. So yeah. So I just finished it in November, no December. And, uh, we learned to get comfortable in, in the water and trust ourselves in, in water because I, People walk around and say, oh, I have a fear of drowning. But since I basically had been drowning, I learned that I loved it. It was actually one of the most beautiful, serene moments of of my life. So I didn't fear drowning. What I feared was myself in water. Um, And this past April, my my family and I were walking on the dock and my husband asked what I would do if one of the girls fell in the water. And I said I would never jump in. It would be too scary because I wouldn't think I'd be able to get them. And so that's how I ended up signing up with the program. Mm. And twice a week for months, uh, slowly we began floating on our backs and... Uh, really letting ourselves go in that silence and learning how to put our face in the water and learning how to put our face in the water and open up our eyes on underwater. And I learned how to move past all of those visions of drowning. And Mm -hmm. this past December, I got so that I was jumping in the deep end, um, doing every, uh, you know, uh, type of swimming, um, what are the, uh, the strokes, you know, uh, swimming on my back, swimming on my front, swimming on the side, diving down underwater, getting toys that she like threw at us underwater. We played with one another. Um, we learned how to do somersaults underwater, swim through. (laughs) And then in the end, it was the most beautiful thing because our families got to come for this celebration in December and for the first time, I held hands with my daughters and jumped in and uh, raced them across the pool. And yeah, now I want to scuba dive. So oh, wow. <laughs> I, I went from one extreme to the other. And so I don't really feel like I need the reset. Mm. Um, but what I like about the reset is really sharing it with other people. Um helping people that come to the island to visit me do this thing that they don't think they can do because the water is freezing, but the surroundings are so beautiful that we just have to do it. Um, And so now it's more about a bonding experience because there's nothing like holding hands with somebody and going into the ocean with them and coming out and experiencing that, that feeling. Well, I have to tell you, Jen, because I I had seen that you'd been sharing that. This was, yeah, five years ago, um, around five years ago when I decided to come to um, to the uh, to um, Orcas Island. And 
when you were holding hands with people and I saw the images, I mean, it looked really nice. I was in the worst of my drinking, the end of my drinking at that time. And I really wanted to do it. I want you to know. And I just couldn't. I just didn't like myself enough. Didn't, couldn't, couldn't muster it up. Didn't feel a part of anything. Didn't feel connected. Um, and so I did not do it. I did not do it. Well, the power of the story. So I realized after talking to a few people who had seen the hashtags that Carrie and I shared and um, they believed that we loved that, that that was easy for us and that mm. that was a hobby. Right. Um, and it took a long time to be able to tell a room full of strangers, hey, the day after I was married, I was drowning and I can't even get my face wet in the shower. But I'd like you to jump in the ocean with me because it's going to change your outlook for the month. <laughs> and so once I started sharing it from that perspective, yeah. I was able to get people who never thought that they could do it um, in there because it's it's cold for sure. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of story, though, too, right? I mean, you telling mm-hmm. that story, you that changes things. Like if I would have heard that, I don't know. I was too caught up in my own insecurities and my own, um, in my, I was just not in a great place. And so, Mm -hmm. um, it looked, um, different to me through my eyes. Right. But knowing that story, I imagine that's very powerful to people, to the people that you meet and that you do it with. Yeah. One of my poems has a line that says blood is thicker than water unless you've been in the salt sea with me. (laughs) and it really goes back to doing those plunges with people that um is a real lasting memory what is do you mind sharing the hashtag for our listeners or no yeah it's reset button every first and i just looked at it and man (laughs) <laughs> it hasn't been added to in a long time <laughs> <laughs> it's funny so you're so, and then we oh go ahead <laughs> oh and we have a facebook group too that uh yeah no one's been on there in a long time but maybe well, uh, after this we'll uh we'll we'll bring it back it. up yeah <laughs> well it'll be fun just to see just so our listeners can get a visual of what we're even talking about because it's a pretty beautiful image of a also of a string of people um which we're going to get to talk about um, right to obey in a little bit here, but seeing a string of people holding hands and walking out into the ocean is just a really, yes. Those pictures are all over our um, right to obey Instagram and for our, our marketing, because we've had actually as many islands. Well, there's 157 San Juan islands and we've had, Maybe more. Um, at the start of the last Right Dobe, we had 157 unique writers that had come, but many come again. Wow. So um, we've we've done that plunge 11 times wow. with people. So, well, as we're talking, I don't know if you guys can hear this big frog that's outside my. Um, I can hear. I can. That's great. So it's so funny because I drew the um, I drew a Kim Kranz's um, animal spirit card last week. um, And it was because water kept coming up for me. This frog kept visiting and I pulled the frog. Anyhow, it's it's he's back because we're talking about water. I know he he knows (laughs) Mm. he's under my studio somewhere. So. We'll just have to, he's going to be our, our other guest on the show today. He's a buddy. Yeah, yeah. he's a friend now. 
Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Okay, so there's so much to cover, Jen. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, so a couple of different things. Like, you're a highly creative person. Like, you embody creativity when I think of you. You do so <laughs> many you. different things. <laughs> the way you live your life, you live it out loud, how you dress, um, how you view the world. Um, so I want to, there's so many things to talk about. Were you a creative child? Could we start there a little bit? I was a very creative child. I, um, My parents quit their jobs and we moved on to a wooden sailboat in the Bahamas when I was very young. And um, aside from playing with the island children throughout the Exumas, there was really only one or two cruising boats that we met very infrequently that had children. So it was me and my invisible friends and dolphins um and my parents on the sailboat and um I just think from that age I was able to create worlds and stories in my mind to occupy my time mm-hmm. wow so you were an only child no. um well my dad had two sons from his first marriage um but when we went to the Bahamas, it was just me and our cat tiger and my parents. Wow, that sounds like a magical childhood. Yeah, I've recently just found my uh, the slides from when we lived in the Exumas because um, I'm I'm writing my memoir that begins there. Um, it was the height of the drug trade. It was a dangerous time to be in the Exumas, um, and it's just incredible to look at the slides on the big screen. And I I work part-time as a photographer. And it was the first time that I was able to see that, you know, my mom documented our life in the Bahamas and I had never really thought of her as a photographer, but the way that Mm -hmm. she framed these images and the colors she captured and the moments that she decided to take her camera out and, and capture really made me realize, oh, I guess photography was in my blood from right. the, the beginning. And I'm so happy to have these slides. Mm. Isn't that great to kind of work backwards too, right? To, 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 yeah. to, to glimpse that now and go back and look and see and know that it was always there or, yeah, within your mom or, and, or maybe she passed that along to you and her passion for it. Yeah, I just wouldn't have described her as a photographer until I was going through the slides with my daughters and husband and was like, oh, wow, look at this image. And just the coloring of these uh, slides is what we strive for when we're editing photographs. Oh, right. (laughs) I don't don't know, Jen, if you went to school for photography, but um, I did. And and, and I went in the 90s when, you know, it was before digital. Uh, so, so yeah, um, slide photography was definitely that, uh, the colors were more saturated. It was actually 
preferable to shoot sometimes on slide. It just depending on what you were going for. But if you wanted some super saturated color, it was um, preferable to shoot on slides. And then there was a process where you could make prints from that. But yeah, I um, I was lucky enough to even begin photography in high school because we had yeah. a dark room and a photography program. And I kind of lived in all of those studio classes in, in high school. And, um, and I really only shoot digital now. But my New Year's resolution after looking at those Bahamian slides is to shoot film in 2019. That's too. Oh, great. <laughs> we can stay in touch about that. Yeah. Yes. I- it's on my list. Reinvest in film photography. <laughs> yeah, there's just nothing like it. It's, it's true. Beautiful. I miss it a lot. I really miss it a whole lot. I miss the whole, the slowness of it. Yeah, I got, um, and the mystery. I put it on, on Facebook and I got all of the darkroom supplies. And so part of my larger vision is to find a small camper that can be pulled with my Subaru and to have a mobile dark room. That's great. Um, that would be the coolest thing to bring to a music festival to do portraits on site. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my big dream. That's a great idea. So let me, so I want to segue back in because again, I want to talk about the music festivals. I want to talk about right. Dobay when, when you got sober, Jen, so you didn't use a program or anything. You just decided just so our listeners can understand, like, you're like, this is it. The, it's up. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not, I'm not treating my body this way anymore. What did you, did you start replacing it or start filling kind of that time or those, that energy with other creative things? Did things start to grow or bloom? Well, I should say that pot and pills became the filler Mm. for alcohol because I needed some type of mask Mm. for social anxiety And so although I wasn't drinking, I can't say I was really sober until a little over two years ago. Oh, that's a big thing to say, Jen. Yeah. um, And I, so a little over two years ago, right after fall, right, Dobe, Mm -hmm. as unexpected as they are, I had a complete nervous breakdown on Orcas Island. My brain completely exploded. And with the help of my family and close friends and my therapist and a psychologist, I gradually healed. And by gradually, I mean really gradually. I couldn't grocery shop or do anything. Each day became an exercise in essential tasks until I was able to move about and function in in the world. And as I began to get some clarity, I realized that each day was a new chance of being my best creative self. And I only placed myself willingly in situations. I learned how to say no to things that I didn't want to go to. Um, But I realized everywhere I left when I left my house and leaving my house felt very scary in, in those few months after. I was able to notice details record dialogue, frame it images, and interact with purpose. Um, and I, I decided that I never wanted to alter my mind in any way with pills or pot. It just seems ironic that the year basically that 
there's a pot store on the island <laughs> and it's completely decriminalized. I've right. decided to never use it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I had to fight so hard to get my brain back yeah. and to have a clear mind. Um, and frequently or somewhat in, infrequently, it comes and goes. I think it has a lot to do with barometric pressure. But I get really bad migraines. And I'm convinced that these migraines come as a reminder to live with a clear focus in, in full light any way that I can. Mm. And so, um, I've just decided I don't want to ingest anything that changes this, this clear vision that I've fought so hard to have. Um, even when I like sprained my foot or broke my foot, I didn't want to take any pain pills. It was like, just get me through it and let me notice what's happening. And, um, so it's like, a that was, it's like a gift, right? I mean, you can start seeing things in a different way when you, when you do start removing substances. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. Um, cause it's definitely easier. Um, yeah, you know, or I think from a really young age, I learned that pills and pot and whatever else I'm ingesting makes everything better. Um, yeah, right. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I still want to check out sometimes, you know, for sure. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely the easier way to, to, to handle life sometimes is just check. I just check me out. But, um, so it's, it takes, it, it's a lot, it's brave to not. Yeah, but this way I, I can be accountable for every minute. Sure. And I, I can remember everything. And I have three daughters that are getting older and I can with full honesty say, you don't need any of that. Right. You know, you can, you can choose to be sober. Um, because when my parents' friends were drinking and I knew that, it was something kids couldn't do that kind of confused me. Yeah. Um, Oh, for sure. You're not, you're not modeling the behavior that you're trying to verbally pass on to your children. Right. Yeah. So that's like a mixed message for them. Right. Do as I say, not as I do. And then being in Washington state with pot, it's, it's everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's just thought of so differently, you know, like then, then say like walking around with a bottle of whiskey, which mm-hmm. in my mind is the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and two, you know, with the clarity comes, uh, you know, then you can be curious about things like a migraine. It's like, what is this trying to teach me? What is this telling? What is this pain telling me? You, mm-hmm. you can't, I think that, that, checking out with the substance shuts you off from that curiosity. Yeah. And with right to obey, I began that as a return to my college writing experiences. I, I went to a small liberal arts college in New Hampshire. All of my creative writing and poetry classes were in um, a building that Robert Frost used to teach poetry in and the classes were very small and I, I wanted that experience of pen and paper and really meaningful conversation about work. But since I was coming out of breastfeeding my youngest daughter, I also kind of wanted that party. And so 
I, we would rent a yurt at right so that we could party and smoke pot and have a dance party down at the beach. And, um, I guess I always thought that maybe I had had too much pot those nights because I would return after being on and facilitating this event all day long and have what I later learned to be panic attacks. Mm. The very first right that I was at, um, where I decided to not smoke pot while I was organizing this huge event and I still had one, I was totally blown away. And I realized that for so long I had been suppressing this social anxiety and being in social situations with full awareness of maybe needing to take a break or maybe needing to step outside and kind of like get some air Mm-hmm. instead of continually being on and telling stories and checking in on, on people. I, w- I wasn't giving myself a break. Right. And pushing so- things down and just pushing through. Yeah. Because it's, again, it's an invitation. It's trying to tell you something. Yeah. And then, so being sober at these, it was like, Oh wow. Like I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and taking breaks. And I should probably verbalize that everybody else in this room <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, take breaks and take care of themselves and, you know, push themselves, but maybe not push themselves past the edge to really be accountable for their behavior. And it just allowed like sobriety really allowed me to be a better facilitator in those environments. And then ironically, as soon as I was sober at these, we had some really serious medical emergencies, one after the other, after the other, after the other, where um, I was really glad as the owner of Right Bay that I was handling these sober. Yeah. Wow. Well, can you, um, can you tell our listeners about Right Bay? Because I know that Tammy has been, but I I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, Yes. It's a intimate artist retreat um, and multi-workshop event. It's located on Orcas Island at Doe Bay which even for me on the island next door, eight miles away, takes about three hours to get to. It's literally in the corner of the world. It's a Um, trek. Yeah. It's an experience. It's like Narnia. Um, (laughs) And there are a million deer along the way that want to jump out of your car. And so the whole, you just take it all in visually as you drive 35 miles an hour once on Orcas Island to the place. Um, We've hosted many award-winning authors and artists of all genres from memoir to fiction, to poetry, to playwriting, uh, to photographers, um, anybody that has a secret to give. And we load everybody's toolbox up, if you will, with the tools to go back to their days um, with artistic replenishment. Um, we've helped them unlock their stories. We've broken down barriers to their creative path. And they set intentions. And so they, they go back to their days ready to be a better, more focused, creative mm-hmm. individual. And, and it's once a, once a year? It's twice a year. Twice a year. Wow. Yeah. And That's in an April, we're having our 12th. Um, 
And there's about 25 participants at, at each one. It's a uh, shared housing and the resort itself is very rustic, but it's very Pacific Northwest. There's mm-hmm. fog and windstorms and 38 pristine acres of evergreens. And mm. there's orcas that go by and there's incredible sunsets and incredible sunrises. Um, the Wi-Fi doesn't work very well, which is great. Good. Yeah. Um, it's the <laughs> only place I go where phones are away and people sit in eye contact. Um, it's just really, really present. Two of my very good friends here, uh, born and raised on the Island, they own salmonberry catering and they grow and harvest and cultivate all of the food that we eat for the weekends. At our last workshop, it was funny when one of their husbands came in with salmon, fresh, fresh salmon caught for our, uh, salmon chowder that night for dinner. Um, and so we eat really good food. We share our meals together and it's almost that in those conversations on the side, um, of sharing a meal together, that's really when the connections happen. Mm. Um, and it's, it's always been centered around music. Uh, Dobe itself has a, very famous and incredible music festival called Dobe Fest. Uh, we're coming up with the 12th one. Um, I've been lucky enough with Casey Chagrin to capture in film and video that festival for the last probably half a decade or more. Um, but that is an event where a thousand people camp for the weekend and there are stages and performances all around the property. And after the musicians play, they just hop off stage and you get to talk to them and sit by them on a blanket and watch somebody else. And it was at that festival seven years ago, I was watching, um, one of our very first teaching artists, Daniel Blue, sing under an apple tree at midnight. And ironically, I pressed record on my cell phone at the time, which I still have this audio saved on my desktop. And I was sitting next to my husband and I said, who is that guy? He's kind of like a poet. Mm-hmm. I wonder what his process is for writing songs. I wonder if he'd tell me. I really like his songs what's that house behind? I want to host a writing workshop in there. I want that guy to teach. And (laughs) it's the funniest thing to have that you record at like 1am. Because that ended up happening. Joe Brotherton, who owns Dobe Resort, was very open to the idea of hosting artists from all around the country and Canada uh, to gather and just sit and talk about art and how to be our best version of our art- artistic self and how to how to move through creative blocks and how to inspire one another and how to truly connect and how to be authentic. So you just that's... Tra- transported me, Jen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what right is. And I really think that now being sober, um doing right. I, I've, I've watched it grow up and I've watched it grow. And 
it's now not really just a chance to get away. It's really, um, there's a high academic piece now. We have a um, curriculum director, one of my very good friends, Erica Jenkins, and she works with our teaching artists to make sure that there's uh, learning objectives and takeaway and mini lessons and whole group sharing and partner sharing. And so we have a whole framework for the lessons that everybody teaches. And so that our teaching artists are, are held accountable instead of just saying, Hey, come and teach whatever you want to do for an hour and a half is, is great, you know? Um, and so that's, that's been a real change for people that have come in the beginning and then come back. I think that they're impressed with the caliber and the type of instruction that they receive through our workshops. And when I say workshops, Sandra, I know that you haven't been there. Picture a living room that's like half glass windows where there's recliners and couches and floor pillows and tapestries and like feathers hanging from the ceiling and everybody's sitting around drinking bottomless cups of like cafe Vita coffee. And so it's not, it's not a classroom. It, it feels like you're in a home. Mm. Um, so it's, it's also very comfortable. Sounds amazing. It is, it is. And, um, it's funny, um, thinking about this and just like how you've transported me just now, uh, <laughs> anxiety almost kept me from going and signing up, you know, um, when I was drinking and I, and I registered one night when I was drunk, um, at my, oh, wow. com- at my computer and like, I just double dog dared myself to do it. And I didn't tell my husband or talk to him about it, which normally I would for a bigger purchase or the fact that I was going to be taking planes, trains and automobiles to kind of <laughs> get to where, you know, it was. Um, but I knew there was just something that I had to do. I had to get there. And um, I'm really glad I did. Jen, I wrote about it last week in my newsletter. I don't know if you get that, but oh. I should forward it to you because I wrote yeah, about please. it. Yeah, please. It was such an important um, part of my path my year before I quit drinking. And that was definitely part of it. Some things were unlocked there um, at Right Bay that were really important to my path to figuring out uh, and answering a creative calling that I had just kind of pushed down for years and years. And because of my social anxiety... Um, you know, I drank, a, I drank too much while I was there and mm. that just, when I was, when it was done, I was grateful that I had some friends that I had made there that I still have, which is great. But I, it just taught me a lot about what I didn't want anymore, how I oh, didn't want to feel, how I didn't, how I wanted to be part of something and also be honest and true to myself and so it's been hard. I haven't been back since because I've been, I, I do deal with anxiety and panic as well, Jen. So the fact that I'm going back in April and it will be exactly five years since I was last there wow. is really beautiful. It's like this beautiful full circle moment. And wow. I can't wait for you to see how much it's changed. And I can't tell you how many people I just give my number to on Instagram. <laughs> Like, people saying like, I'm thinking about coming. And then I write, what's stopping you? Oh, my fear. I'm like, here's my number. Yeah. Um, there's been dozens of, yeah. at first, strangers that I talk to that are like, oh, I'm really an introvert. I'm very scared. And mm-hmm. I don't think I could go there. And 
gosh, you know, that's, it's a, it's a whole room of introverts that like collectively come, come (laughs) together and (laughs) everybody is very fearful of it. Um, something that I've noticed about our, our group, which I'm really proud of being able to communicate it in the beginning and the responses that I get afterwards show that it's really making a difference. Um, I say in the beginning that for some people, this is a release and coming to write is a chance to celebrate and get away and leave the kids and family behind or the job behind and let loose and uh, connect with new people. But for some people, it's uh, some people come and it's it's their retreat. Maybe they're new to sobriety. Maybe they're really trying to um, maybe write Dobe is just a piece of their overall wellness. And so um, I've asked that people drink, uh, I, I, I don't know what the word is, but. Uh, mindfully? Mindfully, yes. Nobody on our staff pours drinks like when we have an open mic or our initial meet and greet on, on Thursday, we used to buy wine. I don't, we don't buy alcohol anymore. None of my staff will offer anybody there a drink. Mm -hmm. And I had somebody just this last write, um, write me an email that said, I didn't know how much I needed that weekend until it happened based on your conversation about drinking in the beginning nobody offered me a beer. And because nobody offered me a beer, I didn't have one. I was able to keep myself from going to the store to buy it. Um, but I knew that if somebody had offered me one, I, I wouldn't want to come off as rude and I would have taken it. And then that would have led to me buying alcohol. And I, I didn't realize how much I needed a sober, mindful weekend until I was a part of it. So like, thanks for setting up the framework, um, to give me exactly what I needed, which felt so great. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't want to be told what to do. Here are the rules, but it's just the culture you're creating. Yeah. And and when, uh, people used to arrive at Ray Dobe, everybody went to this bar which is so hard to hear anybody talk and the table seat four. And so you have all these strangers coming in. You don't know who's a weird Island local (laughs) or who's there for the writing workshop. And you're listening to this, you know, open mic performer that you can't really hear because everybody's talking and it's a restaurant too. And so if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, you're going to order drinks from the bar and that's where everybody is on the first night. And it was like a wake up call being like, wait a minute, I don't even like being down there. It gives me anxiety. I don't know who to talk to. So now we make it more of a free flow event where like you can go down and get your dinner there and listen to the open mic if you want, or you can go soak in the hot tubs and sauna, or you can sit in the retreat house with me and we do like some different activities and have some snacks. And um, so just changing the whole framework of like having people enter into a bar party, Mm -hmm. I think has really 
let people arrive to this Narnia magical place where nowhere else on earth is like it and really kind of get a gauge of their surroundings and be free to explore. It's uh, probably one of the best changes we've made for our program. Oh, I like knowing that, Jen, because I'm, I'm nervous about, you know, I was nervous about going back. I think you and I chatted last fall and it, mm-hmm. and I was working on all of my anxiety and panic stuff. Um, but yeah, last time that was too much for me. And I went back to my room because, of course, when I took the taxi to come to Dobe, to write Dobe, um, I stopped and got all the wine at the store on my way oh, in. Yeah. So I just took myself to my room you know, and recruited one other gal to come back with me and hit up there for the night because I couldn't handle the, the scene. Um, I didn't know I had social anxiety. (laughs) I know that now I can look back now and see that. So right, exactly. I I didn't know either. And I have so much anxiety going into facilitating that weekend that all of the noise of that bar, like Mm -hmm. at the start of the weekend with all these strangers who have like checked out my Instagram feed and know everything about me. Like I just... I just need to be sitting in the chair at the retreat house knitting and leading some stuff and have somebody bring me dinner from there. And that's a a way better start to our weekend. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Now I feel even better because I know I had been emailing you just going about sleeping arrangements and I was like, okay, my anxiety was getting super high and you were just like, oh no, this, this, oh, great handled. Yeah, I actually (laughs) do want to mention the biggest thing about (laughs) the very first Right Dobe, we sold tickets for $1.99 and we did it on just a shoestring budget. Um, But the way that we figured out how to save money was to have everybody share beds. And this is now a hilarious story to retell. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) cried. Everybody (laughs) sobbed. And was like, there's somebody in my bed. And we're like, yeah, I know. And by the end of the weekend, you're going to be so close. You know, like, <laughs> literally, very there was close. literally strangers sharing queen beds. And um, I don't know why I didn't see anything wrong with the planning <laughs> of, of this. But literally everybody cried. And we had to like walk everybody to bed and tell them that like we had researched who they were sharing a bed with. And they were in fact a fine creative person. No <laughs> harm was going to come. Okay. Um, Jen, but the funny thing from that is that nobody from that right Bay has come to any other ones. They only get together with themselves because now they are so close. Right. Joe Brotherton, who owns the resort, said that I operated like a military exercise where I like trapped everybody in an elevator, broke them down. And right. Took away all their theories. <laughs> yes. And they are so close. Not one of those people has come to another one. It's mm. so funny. Um so at least we don't make people share beds anymore. <laughs> well, the thing I have to tell you, and I'm not going to name names, um, but Sandra and I just did a, a boundaries episode last week that hasn't aired yet, but it will by the time your interview comes out. But um, I had this story that I was supposed to share on that boundaries issue. And it was about actually what something that happened at Wright Doe Bay. Um, and it was with a gal who didn't want to sleep where she was sleeping because she was sleeping with somebody else. Like I said, I'm not going to name the name. And <laughs> in my... So what happened, Tammy, who has no boundaries, because I didn't have any when I was drinking, thought, you know, I'd come in on the island with this girl. So she was like, can I just sleep in your cabin? Well, what ended up happening was like, I ended up giving her my bed, which was all by myself. No. And, And I ended up giving up my room. I ended up sleeping on the futon out front. 
because I was up late and I was drinking. So I was like, oh, I'll just sleep here. So I came home and told my friend, uh, my neighbor, and she's like, how did it go? I was like, great. She's like, how was the accommodations? I was like, oh, I'm like, actually, this girl didn't like what was going on with her. So I gave her my room. And my friend looked at me and like cocked her head, you know, a little bit like, what? <laughs> and I was like, oh, she was just having a hard time. And, and so I just gave it to her. And she was like, why? I'm like, I'm like, I'm not really sure what happened to like a healthy adult. Right? Like, why would you do that? So last week when I was with our friend Angie, who was one of my roommates there, I was, we were talking about it and I was like, I had zero boundaries. I just let things happen or I thought I was fixing things. I put, I, I um, inserted myself in the middle of problems. I don't do that now that I'm sober. And so I guess the extension of getting sober is having some boundaries and understanding, right. like, okay, that's not okay. And, um, you know, it didn't hurt anything in the long run, but it was like, it was definitely a lesson. Like, you, you know, I paid to be there. You gave me a beautiful room all by myself. And yet I, <laughs> I didn't have the boundaries within myself. I let someone... You know, anyhow, I, I didn't let them. I made that happen. But um, that's very funny. That's very funny that you're mentioning that. because <laughs> I guess I could have slept with her, but I didn't really want to. So, well, and now, like, you know, the the resort is rustic. It was a commune in the 70s. It's not. Uh, I mean, to me, it's five star because it's absolutely yeah. like a glorious landscape. Yeah. But um we've really been able to fine tune our language so that people know yeah. it's not fancy. It's, it's not rustic. Like if your cabin yeah. has a bathroom, we've worked really hard to make sure that your cabin has a bathroom um, <laughs> because not all of them do. <laughs> and right. nobody is going to help you with your luggage to your cabin. Um, there's not even a lighted walkway. So we make sure to explain to people, bring a headlamp because you're going to need it. Um, right. It's and... all part of the adventure. It's all part of the adventure. And it was fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. I'm excited. So I got to meet Kim Kranz, who's going to be a teaching artist oh, yes. in the spring. Wonderful. Um, I got to meet her briefly, so I'm looking forward to seeing her there. And then you have me teaching a, a little breakout session, right? Yes, On we do. Um, ritual, I believe. Yes, and that is going to be wonderful. Um, and we have Jay Ryan Strandall, whose um, book, uh, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, um, ah. he just came out with a new book. He's incredible. And um, a woman named Rose Blair, who is an essayist, and she's teaching a breakout session. Um, we are just about to announce tomorrow our... Um, two of our headlining, uh, our, our musician and another individual. And then we still have some surprises. Um, we have the founder of sub pop music that's going to be giving a DJ dance set. Um, when I talked to him on the phone, uh, his name's Bruce Pavitt. And after I hung up, I just thought, Oh wow. My teenage self just died because (laughs) I rode my bike to get Pearl Jam 10 for miles and Nirvana when I was a freshman. And the fact that he's going to be available to talk about the history of grunge music in Seattle and is just this incredible human being. I'm just so fortunate that um, we have the venue to bring people like that. 
um, well, your episode yeah. is going to air on February 4th. So oh, okay. You, are you able to tell us who could you do that? I mean, we won't air this until then. Um, I think I'm, there, I'm still waiting on okay. if I'm announcing two or three. So we, we have some surprises. Okay. So I think I'm going to say, check out our website at rightdobay.com for all of our details. Perfect. And how many tickets yeah. do you have approximately left or? Uh, we have 10 full price tickets left now. And what's the price? So people... Um, the price is $1,200. So, um, and how many days? It is four days now. We've extended it a day. Um, it's April 4th through the 8th. Um, there's going to be a concert, a DJ dance party, um, a wonderfully fancy meal in the cafe, um, all catered meals through Salmonberry Catering at our retreat house, um, and many full workshops and breakout sessions. Um, and then also because we're an extra day, we're giving people, um, the time that people have asked for time and time again, um, to write solo time. Mm, um, yeah. I have historically scheduled every single minute of, of the weekend, to make sure that people are just overflowing with ideas. Um, but I think it becomes a bit of an emotional hangover in the end because you're hearing these stories that people bring with them. People are sharing work. Um, you're being so inspired by our teaching artists that at this last rite, I realized how important it is to be able to walk out the door and just be alone with, with your own thoughts. And it's in that time to really go through go through all that you've taken in that you you begin to grow there instead of going home to your house alone processing all of it mm-hmm. and so I I wanted to make sure that we have some time uh, at the last right we did a very organized writers workshop um and it was multi-genre, like one girl read a song in her group or sang a song in her group and someone else read part of a chapter of a book that they're working on. And that workshop experience was really what I've been trying to get at since I really started right. So that was another um, really high point for where we've come to. I love it. I love it. I love all that you're creating, Jen, and how it's morphing and changing. Thanks. Yeah. And and the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, so you have three girls. So, so Mm -hmm. when you got sober, um, you stopped drinking alcohol five and a half years ago. You stopped doing everything else two years ago. How old are you? Just so our listeners know. I am 42. 42. Yeah. That's a good age. That is. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about, um, just being in the middle of life and how, there's so much that starts crystallizing, right? And that yeah. we, our creativity is just like, I don't know, it's ignited for me. Um, and 43 was when I um, was having the inklings of I thought something needed to change and that I needed to start living a little brighter than I was mm. and to kind of listen to my longings and my callings and all of that. So um, you recently, right, are an elementary mm-hmm. school art teacher, I am. I teach kindergarten through second grade, oh. and it teaches me 
so much. At right, I am constantly telling adults to return to that place of uninhibited childhood where they completely believe in the work that they're putting out and take risks and have fun. And I get to see that place every week now. And it's absolutely incredible. I actually most love my kindergartners. <laughs> they're just full of spark and it is awesome. I love it. <laughs> it's so much fun. And it's, you know, I started out in the school district on the school board to try and make the school district something that I wanted my children to go up through, like, you know, having been a public school teacher and then was subbing for a bit and going in as a teaching artist and leading some poetry workshops. Um, and so now beginning at the beginning with kindergarten through second grade doing art, it's just kind of another way to make a lasting difference in the district. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm, sounds like fun. Yeah. You get to, so you just get to be with the little ones. You get to be with the older people at these retreats. You get to teach everyone, Jen. I know. I love it. I love it. And then we did just, um, when was it in, uh, December, uh, Wright did a first showcase down in Seattle. We partnered with Cafe Vita and we uh, put on a female singer songwriter showcase with some of our uh, Wright teaching artists and uh, people whose songwriting that we really value. And so that was a success. And so soon we're going to be having some pop up writing events there and some concerts down in. Pioneer Square. And so that's another cool area of growth. I forgot to mention. Well, music was such an important part. I mean, Daniel Blue was a teacher at um, the Wright Dobe that I was at, and he was on our podcast um, a while ago. um, Yes. Kind of near the beginning of our of our podcast. And um, it was nice to be to think about writing music like I didn't I've forgotten I think that songwriters are writers how could I forget that um but I love seeing the band Joseph you know and Shelby yes. is it Shelby Lynn that also was Shelby on? Earl she's Shelby pregnant Earl, now right. she's amazing yeah and get to and there's all these videos on YouTube of all of the bands from Doe Bay Fest I believe and they, they must mm-hmm. have a pretty incredible website as well I bet yeah and there's a documentary Welcome to Doe Bay oh, uh which okay. is awesome um it's an hour long and it's just about the festival oh wow watch that okay a documentary but i'll check that out yeah i'll check that out too Um, you can see me in a green coat while the head and the heart is playing on stage with uh holding one of my daughters (laughs) and i was like there i am (laughs) that's right i like seeing your little girls with their little headphones on their little oh yes yeah. yeah they are um they have been It'll be interesting when they grow up to realize that, you know, musicians like Star Anna came for the weekend and, you know, taught them guitar lessons and Skyped <laughs> guitar lessons. And, uh, and you know, I throw concerts on the island um, every once in a while and they stay at our house and, you yeah. know, I don't even have a guest room. They just sleep on my floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm really happy to bring them up in a home where so many artists have come through the door of, of all kinds. And, yeah. you know, with Wright, I think there's a lot of people that are like, wait, why am I taking this songwriting workshop? I'm not a songwriter. And then after it, they're like, oh, I get it. 
we have the same creative blocks, like, mm. or I really liked their routines for finding inspiration or getting started to work. I'm going to try some of that. And so, cause at the heart of it, we're all just artists making art, whatever your medium is. And yeah. so that's how I bring all these different genres and pieces together. Well, you do a really it. good job of it, Jen. And I know you, you DJ parties. I know you love to dress up in a costume. I mean, I, like, I think your Christmas tree. Did you have a Christmas tree dress that I'm remembering? Or like, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I there, do love costumes. There's yep. like a fashion show on the island where you and Carrie, I think, went to town. I don't know if it was with garbage bags or with. Um, oh, trash and fashion. Um, trash we and actually fashion. won that so many years in a row at the San Juan <laughs> County Fair that we were like banned from being a part of it and then they made us judges and they just we like did too good of a job so we can't ever judge that again but the San Juan County Fair is like you know my kids are in 4-H like people come from all the outer islands like winning a blue ribbon is just you know the thing and you spend four days there it's uh it's it's big stuff but yeah trash and fashion um I loved it that, that was a good time when we were able to participate and win. <laughs> before, you got 80, before you got 86 out of that. Sandra, you're going to have to see yeah, some of these And then pictures. we like They're helped great. our kids make their costumes and like same thing. We're like, we're too good. We, <laughs> we, we, we can't be a part of it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah that's another one of my just, you know, side passions is I love to make costumes too. <laughs> oh, it. nice. Yeah, you guys yeah. get along famously. Yeah, we, we have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just went to a uh, white elephant party in December, and it was me and my friend who's pregnant. But, um, you know, even when she's not pregnant, she's she's been sober for a long time. She's actually one of our cooks at, at Dobe. Her name's Natalia. Um, Natalia Lawrence Peterson. And we both started planning our white elephant costume in like <laughs> September mm-hmm. as you do <laughs> and we got so into it and we both looked awesome um and then we were talking about it later and we're like that's what we had for the party you know knowing everybody else would be drinking like yeah you know so of course I was all in to what I was going to be wearing because right you get to do different things right I went to a dinner party so I have some uh, really good friends um that are in a band called Poi Dog Pondering from they're oh. from like the 90s and they were our favorite college band and they over the decades have just become good friends and um the lead singer doubles as a chef and we had a dinner party this week and I got to bring dessert you know it's so fun it's like when you don't have to worry about bringing the booze or what kind of perfect bottle of wine you have to go pick out to bring or multiple bottles, you get to do other really creative, more fun things actually. And, um, so I love that you. Yeah. That. Yeah. It's like, I focus on the details because the details matter. Right. You know, um, yeah. Instead of yeah. obsessing or thinking about, yeah. Uh, my anxiety over people being there. Like I just went to a big party in November and I actually thrifted this awesome dress. So I was so focused on how good I was going to look actually. (laughs) I'm going to look so awesome that I need to go take this to the cleaners and I need to research the dress where it came from. It was vintage. It was beautiful. And I just loved it. I had, I danced all night. Um, My my friend kept bringing me shrubs. I was like, it was the first party I fully enjoyed. Um, with normal drinkers, 
you know, or maybe not normal drinkers. I don't know. But, you know, sometimes I'm in a sobriety bubble now when I'm with everybody that's sober, nobody's drinking. That's a a bubble and that's great. But to go out and to go have a good time and and not to be um, hung up on everybody else's drinking or counting their drinks or thinking too much and and get out of my head. Um, That was right. That was fun. But, you know, you're I know you shared with me your daughter was born on Halloween. So I have a feeling like it's a big party for you over there on Halloween, too. It is a huge party. You know, I was actually due on November 11th. And Mm. the day that I got my due date from my midwife, I started telling people that I was going to have a baby on Halloween. (laughs) Even though my baby before was three weeks late and like 10 pounds. And, um, you know, people were like, well, what makes you think you're gonna have a baby early? I'm like, well, I'm having a Halloween baby obviously. And the only outfit I packed in the hospital bag was a little chili pepper Halloween costume because I was having a baby on Halloween. And the night before Halloween, there was, uh, no, three days before Halloween, I started telling everybody, I need to get off the island because Halloween morning at 2 a.m., my water's going to break and I'm going to have the baby. Um, and the cord's going to be wrapped around the neck twice. So I can't have a home birth or it, it can't happen on the Island. I need to be in the hospital and everybody thought I was crazy. And then the night before Halloween, there was a 78 mile an hour windstorm. And so we caught the last ferry off the Island. Um, and the whole ferry ride, I was like, I feel really sick. And you know, my husband was like, well, that's cause it's really rough. And yeah. then he was saying, well, this will be nice. We'll just have, you know, dinner and then we'll get back to go um, trick or treat. And I was like, no, we're having a baby. And he's like, okay, just like, you know, don't be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) And then we woke up Halloween morning in the hotel and I screamed because my water broke, which is funny because with my other two labors, my water broke right as I was pushing. Um, and I said, what time is it? And he said, it's 2.20 in the morning. And I was like, mm. I knew it. Um, <laughs> and the only person who believed me was my doula. And so I called her and she's like, you know what? You always trust a pregnant woman. I actually secretly got a room at your hotel. I'm across the hall. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what a great um, doula. <laughs> and then the whole time I was in the room in the tub, I just kept saying, we have to get to the hospital. The cords wrapped around her neck twice. Um, and she's like, well, that's really rare. And you need to stop thinking about that. Got to the hospital had the labor with, you know, the midwife made it from Orcas after like a series of events and ferry delays. I like was hiding like in the closet, like, you know, 10 centimeters until she walked in. And as soon as she walked in, I like pushed and halfway through the labor, she's like, Oh, um, hang, hang on a second. And she had to go in, uh, with scissors and cut the cord. Olive was born no sound for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then she came over to the bed and she said, so what had happened is it's actually pretty rare, but the cord was wrapped around her neck twice. Wow. That's crazy. And I just looked at Luke and then he's like, I will always believe you now. (laughs) (laughs) I will listen to everything you say. Yes. Yes. He was probably a little scared. He's like, okay, now she's freaking me out. Okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, mom has a feeling. So we're going to go back home. Yeah. Curling Mm -hmm. iron was on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So little Olive was your, was your Halloween baby? 
Yes, and she loves it. Oh, so we normally have two. We get to have two costumes. We have a costume for school, and then we have a costume for um, trick or treating because she's sure. like really into scary things, and you can't have like fake blood at school. And, <laughs> right. You know, uh, even though she's only in third grade, she's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's my daughter uh, is born on. My daughter is born on uh, November third, so we're pretty close. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, pretty Halloween close. Day of the Dead. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I um, when I work those, I photograph music festivals and um, film video for them. And the first thing I always pack instead of the camera gear is outfits because <laughs> I think yeah. I'm going to be looking at everybody and. Everybody's going to be looking at me like side stage or backstage. So I better have an awesome outfit. Right. And um, it's actually really funny. Like, you know, even on New Year's, I borrowed this sequence dress and wore like a big white fur and was working and just had so many drunk people come up to me and be like, your dress is amazing. And I felt like <laughs> I had like, mm-hmm. you know, really made it and be like, yeah, I'm working. But yeah, it's it's just funny to think like. Yeah, you don't have to blend in because you're on a job, right? You're looking fabulous all the time. Right. Well, yeah. it's like that's like the detail that I'm into. Like, I have to look mm-hmm. great. Yeah, I don't know. Same. I just really I've, – I've always really liked fashion and clothes. And luckily with Carrie owning Dear Hazel, I'm able to – well, Jen, I'm going. I'm going to a concert tonight for Poi Dog Pondering, and I'm making oh, nice. a shirt. I'm making a shirt, so oh, I'm, awesome. I'm right with you. I'm right. Great. With you. <laughs> That's okay. awesome. You got to share that on Instagram. I want to see. Oh, I will. I see. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> no worries there. Well, Jen, awesome. I, I feel like we could keep talking here for a I long know. time, but I know we have to wrap it up. Um, we will share more in your bio about um, some other things that you're working on, but. Let's get to the three things and then let's give all your social media and ways people can register for Right to Obey at the end. So do you have, this is the part where we ask if you have three items that are in your unruffled toolbox to share with our listeners? Um, yes, I, um, I knit. Mm-hmm. I always go to parties with a ball of yarn in my pocket and needles. <laughs> nice. And... Um, I'm probably the only person to be at the bar at karaoke at the dive bar in town when friends are in town with, uh, knitting mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at midnight. Um, I now swim. Mm-hmm. Um, the silence is meditative underwater. And so I'm, I'm glad to have found that for that cluttered mind of a creative individual it's really centering and empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know how I could talk about this quickly, but um, there's a process that's been handed down to me, um, started by somebody on the island called the Memory Project. And it's actually something that I hope that Right Dobe can put out into the world um, as a class but it essentially is one page and you time travel to a memory and record the moment in three or four sentences, kind of like a traffic camera would record it um, objectively. And at the top of the page, you write the date and time or as close to it as you can. And you're supposed to do this for three years. And then in the end, you 
go away and you find a huge room and you put all of these memories like 1983 in a huge pile and 1996 in a huge pile. And um, so I'm slowly scraping the layers of my brain away, uncovering memories I didn't even know that I had. Um, and the idea is that then you put all these in a box, you give them to somebody you trust for safekeeping, and then you go about your life creating new memories. And so oh, that's, that's a beautiful. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's been uh, a really neat practice to begin. I feel every day doing it that I'm a little bit lighter. Um, and so that's definitely a daily practice for me. Sometimes I write four or five different memories um, that just come now. It's interesting. That's beautiful. Sometimes when I'm driving, right, or in the shower, how these things always come to us. And I wish I would stop and write it down, the memory. Um, Mm. just inspired me to do so. That's great. I like that. Yeah, I'd like to um, do something with it somehow, like Mm. an online course or something, because there's a few different guidelines. But um, it's profound. And you don't have to just write the painful ones. Right. You know, you can... You can keep thinking and travel back to a birthday party you had as a kid or, you know, what some a, little detail comes up. What a gift. What a gift that that will give to future your girls, you know, too. Yes. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe if right. I pick a few of those papers out right. or, or, or maybe not. I guess the whole story when they're adults is fine, too. Right. Well, <laughs> it sounds like you're writing a memoir, so I'm sure um, – I'm sure they'll get to read that someday. Yeah, they keep asking if they can read parts. I'm like, not yet, no. <laughs> well, maybe well, when they're older. Well, where can people find your work, Jen? Where would where would you like to point people to find to find you? Um, well, first and foremost is uh, the Right Dobe website and Right Dobe in- Instagram because um, it is not only the community that I've created with the help of my friends who work it as well. Um, but it's also a great community, um, of artists to connect with one another and to find like-minded people in this world of social media where people are really trying to be authentic and and real. Um, I am Jen Ferber on Instagram and I have Jen Ferber photos, which is a really poorly updated Instagram, uh, site. I, I'm in the works of developing a photography site. I used to have a blog that I don't anymore. Um, You can search my name and find me on Huffington Post and different websites around. Um, But I've really been, um, although I used to freelance a lot, I am using my writing time to work on my um, a few side projects and, um, my memoir. So there really isn't anything current that's out there published while I work on this. Well, you're, you're creating a lot of really beautiful things and it sounds like you're creating a really beautiful life, Jen. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I love talking with the two of you. I'll see you soon. Jen. Yes. Okay. Thank you. April 4th through 8th. April 4th through the 8th okay. um, on Orcas Island. Great. And a few tickets remain. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled
Untitled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.